This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, I Am the Good Shepherd, and it comes from John 10, 11 through 21. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and town rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or just catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether it's iTunes or Amazon or Google or Spotify. We're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Today, we pick back up in our series of Who Does Jesus Think He Is? Now, I don't mean that in some sacrilegious way, but seven times in the book of John, Jesus says, I am, and then he gives a description of his character and who he is. Now, that I am is the same I am that was used in Exodus in the burning bush when God told Moses, when he asked, who do I tell him sent me? He says, tell him I am. And Jesus declares that he and God are one, that he is I am. And then, like I said, he describes himself as the bread of life. We saw that in week one where he said that I am your daily bread, just like the nation of Israel ate manna that I gave to them daily. I am your daily bread. You eat of me daily. Then in week two, we looked at I am the light of the world and how Jesus illuminates, light illuminates. And Jesus is the light of the world. He gives freedom over darkness and he illuminates the darkness after we accept him and he helps us get rid of that darkness. He enables us to see the truth. He enables our path that we walk. And after being saved, we should reflect his light to others. And then we looked last week at I Am the Door. We started off with this discussion about the agricultural times back in Jesus' day and how he used an analogy of sheep, how there was this sheep pen and the sheep pen was created so it could keep wild animals and thieves away. And there was only one way into the sheep pen and that was through the door. And Jesus says, I am that door. There's only one way to the Father and that's through me. Well, today we're going to pick back up and there'll be a little bit of a review because both of these lessons, I am the door and I am the good shepherd, both come from chapter 10 and both deal with sheep. And so like last week, we'll do an overview of sheep, but we'll see that Jesus is the good shepherd and that the good shepherd protects his sheep, his flock. And like good farmers, the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them by name. He gives them names. 
And then last, the sheep recognize his voice. With all that said, we've got a lot to cover today, so let's just jump right in. Turn with me back to John chapter 10. We'll start in verse 11, and I'll be reading out the ESV. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he's a demon and insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So right here in John, we see Jesus say twice, I am the good shepherd. And he uses this analogy, like I said, because of them being uh, an agricultural environment and that they're farmers and they have sheep. And he uses this as a parable to teach from the good shepherd and the sheep. Now, as a reminder from last week, this chapter 10 comes on the heels of chapter 9, where Jesus has healed a blind man on the Sabbath. And he is speaking really to his accusers who were upset. One, that he healed someone on the Sabbath. And two, under what authority and how can he say that he is God? I mean, the Pharisees challenge Jesus. They say, who do you think you are? The very title that I've given this series and he says back in chapter 9 that very well, you've heard my words, but you wouldn't understand. You don't understand so far. You're spiritually blind, just like this man was blind. And we're just like these Pharisees. We're walking around spiritually blind. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are walking around spiritually dead. We can't see. The light that we talked about two weeks ago illuminates, but we don't see that light until we allow the light into us. These Pharisees are spiritually blind, and that is how we got here. And so Jesus starts in chapter 10 a parable about sheep and a good shepherd. Now, Jesus tells this parable because he is explaining to his audience that he is the good shepherd. He is the true shepherd. And then there are some false shepherds. There are some hired hands, and we'll dive deeper into that in just a second. But he uses this parable to say, I am the true shepherd, and you are my sheep. My sheep know me. They follow me. They know my voice, and they won't listen to others. And I protect them. So let's look again quickly at sheep, some characteristics about sheep, and how we fit that mold of sheep. First thing I told you last week, sheep are easily frightened. They're timid. They're almost neurotic in their fear. Another thing that sheep have is they have exceptional hearing. And because they're so timid and so fearful, every noise they hear scares them. Another thing a study showed is that sheep can see color. Somehow they tested this. 
But anyhow, there are certain colors that really scare them, and especially yellow. If you were to go pet a sheep and you're wearing a yellow shirt or a yellow top, then they would run from you. Sheep are able to see colors, and there are certain colors they're scared of. And then another thing they're frightened of is running water. We talked about this last week. I pointed out last week, the Psalms 23 tells us that the good shepherd leads me along still waters. That's because sheep are scared of running water. And you would be scared too. Like I said last week, if you were wearing 25 sweaters and you fell in, you would drown. Sheep can't swim, so they would drown. So they will only go and drink water from still water. The other thing is sheep get scared, they huddle together. And that's what sheepdogs use to help them move the sheep along because sheep see a sheepdog as a enemy. They are easily frightened and they're timid. In addition to all that I've told you, they're easily disoriented. When they wander off and as they're grazing and wandering away, they can't find their way back if they get separated from the herd and they can't see the herd. You know, your dog and your cat at home, you've heard about how people take them off and drop them out of a car and they come back. Not a sheep. A sheep has no GPS. A sheep is easily lost and that's why they need a shepherd to watch to make sure that they stay and don't get too far away from the herd. Also, I told you last week that sheep are helpless. They need help. Like they'll go and they'll lay down and if they're a well-fed sheep and they have lots of wool on them if they lean too far over and their feet get off the ground they can't get back up they need a shepherd to come along and help them they will panic again because they can't get up and they're stuck if they stay like that and they're away from the fold there is no shepherd on a hot day they can die in a matter of three or four hours sheep are helpless and they need a shepherd to help them at times to get back up And on top of that, they are defenseless. They have no growl. They have no teeth. They have no claws. They have no shell like a turtle. Sheep are truly defenseless. You would be scared too if everything could eat you and you couldn't defend yourself. Now, one of the things I didn't say last week about sheep being defenseless, and this is going to get a little graphic, but you'll understand as I tell you why this is important to point out, because it's talked about in Psalms 23, One of the things they're defenseless against are nasal flies. Now, these flies will fly in and leave eggs that become larvae in their nasal membrane. They'll work their way up to right around their brain, and they'll embed in the flesh and drive uh, to a point where it makes them mad. They'll take their head and run into things trying to stop this annoyance, this pain, Sheep have sometimes killed themselves trying to get away from this pain. And it's all from these nasal flies. But what the shepherd does is he comes and he anoints their head, just like it says in Psalm 23, with oil so that the nasal flies won't come in. Just like Jesus anoints us and he keeps us away from the irritations just like the sheep have. As graphic and gross as that picture is about the flies coming in to the nasal and laying larvae eggs there, isn't it a beautiful picture that God wants us not to be annoyed by this world? By the annoyances of this world, he protects us. He puts that salve over us so that we aren't uh, irritated and drive ourselves crazy from the pain of the annoyance. 
And then the last thing I talked about last week was that sheep are very dirty animals. As I told you last week, sheep release an oil that gets into their wool and effectively turns it into Velcro. Everything sticks to it. Dirt and their feces, uh, everything they roll in, everything that they touch and walk by gets on their wool. And so, again, this oil creates this problem And I tell you all this because I want you to understand we need to see ourselves as sheep. We're dirty. We're stinky like sheep. But the good shepherd cleans up the sheep just like Jesus cleans us up. So in verse 11, when we started reading, we see Jesus say that. Jesus says, I am. Again, we go look at the Greek word there. I won't go too much into this. You can go back to previous lessons. You'll hear me talk about ego amy. That is the Greek word for I am. Same words that God used in the book of Exodus as he spoke to Moses and told him who to say he was. He said, I am, ego amy, if you translate that to Greek. He says, I am what? And then he describes himself, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so he's talking about how he takes care of his sheep. He loves his sheep. He loves you. There's nothing that you can do to stop God from loving you. God loves you even in your sinful state. We've covered this before as well, but Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us even when we didn't love him back. See, God loved us so much, even when we didn't love him back, that he sent his son, that's what Romans 5, 8 says, to die on the cross. And then we see in John 15, it tells us that greater love has no one than someone laid down his life for a friend. Jesus showed the ultimate love. He was the ultimate good shepherd. He laid down his life, just like he says right here in verse 11. Jesus wants those people that are listening, his audience, to understand, especially the Pharisees, that he is the good shepherd. He said it so plain, there could be no mistake what he meant, that he fulfills the ideal role of the shepherd, that he cares for the people of God, as illustrated by the Old Testament and the culture that he lives in. He is the opposite of the robber, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy that we studied last week. And a matter of fact, his audience listening to this probably saw Jesus as the great shepherd. And that's probably the way we should describe him. Not the good shepherd, but the great shepherd. Because even a good shepherd rarely would lay down his life for a sheep. Now, he's willing to fight off that uh, wild animal or a thief, but he wouldn't die for that animal. But Jesus clearly states that he will give his life for the sheep. He is giving his life still today. We are that sheep that is fearful. We're that sheep that can't protect itself. We're the sheep that the robber wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I will lay down my life for my sheep. I'm not a hired hand. When I see a wolf coming, I will protect him. I won't run like the others will. He's contrasting himself to the Pharisees. He's saying, no matter the circumstance, I'm there. I don't punish people. I don't run away from people. I don't tell them that they need to leave because they're unclean. I defend the sheep. I take care of the stock. I'm not like the bad shepherd. 
And Jesus describes three things about the good shepherd. He says, first, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He gives his life. The second thing he says, the good shepherd knows his sheep. And he says, I know my sheep. We think of sheep as being all the same, but the shepherd knows the difference between the sheep. I remember my granddad used to raise cattle and he could tell you each cow by its name. They all looked the same to me, but he could go out in the field and he immediately knew if a cow was missing because he you knew that unique characteristic or that unique thing about that cow. I saw just a bunch of cows out in the field. And Jesus is saying the same thing. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He can tell the difference in that individual, and he knows that personality, knows those characteristics. Sometimes we think we're nothing to Jesus, but the Bible tells us that he even knows the hairs on our head. Matthew 10.30 tells us, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I mean, that shows how much Jesus loves us. As a matter of fact, the book of Psalms in Psalm 139, 17 and 18, this is the Bible telling us how much God thinks of us. Listen to what it says. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God thinks of you more than the sand of the sea. Think about how many hands full of sand are on the beach. And God thinks of you more than that. He loves you. He cares about you. And he knows the details about you. And that's what we see right here. As Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. But we get back to our text and he says, I will lay down my life, not like the hired hand. And what Jesus is showing also is that there are faithful pastors that are under shepherds of the great shepherd or the good shepherd and that he takes care of his flock. And then there are pastors that strictly do it because they're a hired hand. They do it for career reasons. They don't have the love for the people like the Bible tells us. And they'll be held accountable for that one day. He describes these shepherds, and he's really talking about the Pharisees, but you could apply that to common day terms that they scatter. They don't care for the sheep. They only care for themselves. But then he repeats it again in verse 14. Look at that with me. I am the good shepherd. He says that again. I am. And then he describes himself, the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. So he repeats that he's the good shepherd and he's willing to die for the sheep. Then he's prophetic. He says, I lay down my life. And then look what he says in verse 16. He says that I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And again, here he's talking about the Gentiles. What he's saying is that I'm speaking to you, the Jews, but there's another flock. That that flock is the Gentiles. And that I've come to be the good shepherd for both the Jew and the Gentile. Now, this teaching was unheard of. For him to say that there would be the Jew and the Gentile together, we, we see that because we have the Bible now. But at that time, that was just heresy to teach something like this. But he says there are others that are part of the flock that you don't know about, and I will bring them as one flock. And that's what we see in verse 16. And he says then in verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. I then take it back up. And he says that no one takes it from me. In other words, no one's going to kill me. I'm going to do it willingly. 
He said, God the Father loves me because he sees the beauty of my character and my self-sacrifice, my humility and my obedience. He says, not only am I going to take my own life, but I'll have the power to raise it up again. We can say that Jesus raised himself from the dead. He had the power to lay down his life and he had the power to take it up again. The great Spurgeon wrote that when an ordinary man dies, he only pays the debt of nature. If he were even to die for his friend, he would simply pay a little earlier that debt which he must pay ultimately. But Christ was immortal, and he needed not to die except that he put himself under the covenant bonds to suffer for his sheep. And what we need to get from verse 17 is that anyone can lay down his life, but only Jesus could take his life up again. We've heard of religious leaders and their followers say that there's multiple ways. Mohammed or Buddha, all of these men died, but they couldn't raise themselves back up again. Only Jesus was able to do that. And that is the evidence of his unique relationship to the Father. I'm not going to spend a lot of time around this because there's a lot of different ones I could point out. But the Jehovah Witnesses, for example, they deny that Jesus could take up his own life again. They believe he was just another prophet. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the miracles that he did, but they believe he was a prophet. They don't believe that he was God. They don't believe that he had the power to raise himself up, that he was God in flesh and 100% man, but yet 100% God, that when he gave up his life, when he laid down his life, that he had the power to take it back up again. But Jesus clearly states in verse 18 that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I'm the one that makes that ultimate decision. And we saw that in Gethsemane. We saw him say, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass. But he yet gave his selflessness and his humility to obey the Father's commandment. And we need to learn to do that as well. We need to listen to Jesus and walk in his ways and follow his commandments, not pick and choose the ones we like, we follow them all. And then it wraps up in verse 19 that there's this division amongst the Jews. Some of them say that he is demon-possessed, that he's insane. Why even listen to him? But then there's some others that say that these words are not one of who is oppressed by a demon or he's not demon-possessed. How can a demon heal the blind man that we saw in chapter 9? How can a demon do that? And that is another thing we need to understand. When we encounter Jesus, there's one of two responses. We either accept Jesus and we believe in Jesus, or that we deny Jesus and we don't accept him. We're like the Pharisees, that we find some way to humanly explain it and not believe. But each and every one of us has the ultimate decision one day that we have to make. Either believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus. You might go, Tim, why would some people think that Jesus was demon-possessed? Well, you got to understand, he made radical claims about himself that made people get divided over him. And that's not changed. Today, you have to believe who Jesus says he was. Back in that day, people believed that those who said that they were God were mad. They were demon-possessed. Yet some believe that he was who he said he was. And just like the miracle that happened in chapter 9, 
Some of the people had their eyes open, just like the blind man had his eyes open. And they understood Jesus, and they believed in Jesus, and they were spiritually able to see. Yet there were others that were still walking around spiritually blind. We're running out of time, so let me close with these final thoughts. Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd. And it's only found in the New Testament that he said that. But he was talking to the Pharisees and he used the Old Testament. For example, in the book of Ezekiel, there's a prophecy regarding shepherds and sheep. And in this prophecy, it was about a shepherd that was to come and he was going to be the Messiah of Israel and he was going to oversee the people of God. And so by calling himself the good shepherd, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah that the scriptures foretold in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, this is talking about how God is going to take care of his people, how he's going to send the Messiah to take care of his people. And by claiming that he was the good shepherd, Jesus was establishing himself as Savior and the new leader of Israel. But Jesus didn't only come to save Israel, because we saw that in verse 16, that there are other sheep not in the sheep pen, and I will bring them and there shall be one flock. Jesus is the good shepherd, and that anyone that listens to his voice can be a part of his flock. Those that allow him to be their shepherd can be a part of his flock. Gentile or Jew. And five times in this passage, Jesus talks about giving his life on the cross as the good shepherd. He told of this in Matthew, Matthew 20, 28. He says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom of many. He was the good shepherd. Jesus is speaking about laying down his life for a sheep, just like he said in Matthew 20. And Jesus said that I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. And the question are, are you one of his own? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you walk with him every single day? See, the Bible has the good news that Jesus went to the cross. The bad news the Bible tells us is that we've all sinned and we come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death and that eventually all of us are going to have to stand before God one day and account for those sins against God. But Jesus came and paid the price and all we have to do is believe on him to be part of his own, to be part of the one flock. We have to believe that he came and he died on the cross and that he died for us. But not only did he die for the ransom of our sins, but he overcame death to give us the ability to live forever with him. So today, it's as easy as the ABCs. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to believe on the finished work of the cross and him overcoming death. And we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Won't you do that today? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that those listening will understand that you came for not only the Jew, but the Gentile. Those that come and believe upon you will be saved. Your word tells us in John 3.16 that you loved us so much that you sent your son to save the world. It doesn't say to save the Jews. It doesn't say to save the Gentiles. It says to save the world. Lord, I pray right now that everyone would stop and listen and understand that you love us. Even though we're walking in sin, you still love us. And you've given us a way to stand before you with the blood of Jesus covering us so that we can stand before a righteous and holy God. You've made a way to come over the sin chasm. 
but we have to accept it. We have a choice just like this crowd did. And there will be a division. There'll be those that will believe who Jesus is, and there'll be those that don't, that think he's a madman, think that those that follow him are crazy, think that they're mad people, that they're stupid. But there'll be those that follow him, and they know his voice, and they listen to his voice, and he leads them. Lord, I pray today for those that have made that decision to follow you, Lord, that whatever they're facing today, that they would give it to you. Just like they turned their sins over to you, whatever issue they showed up today, whether it's sickness or a relationship or money, whatever it is, Lord, that they will turn to you and not to the world. Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray right now that they would believe on your finished work on the cross. Lord, they would admit they're a sinner. They would understand what you told us in the book of Romans, that we've all sinned and fallen short. And they would believe that you went to the cross. They'll admit their sinner. They'll believe on that finished work and you overcoming death and raised up again on your own power. And Lord, then they'll commit with their mouth that you are Lord of their life and they'll chase after you. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, we thank you for the blessings you give this radio station. Lord, I pray right now that we do all this in your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.